Good afternoon, producer Susan. Um, by the way, are you showing recording on your end? I am. You are because because I'm not showing a recording here. This is this new upgraded video. A new it's upgrade. in the upper left-hand corner. Okay, there it is. My new upgraded version. All right. So today's <laughs> December 13th, and this is the second time we're doing this podcast, right? Because, you know, technology is wonderful when it works. Because yesterday we did the whole podcast, and it didn't, and it... Uh, didn't save it, so we're doing it all over again. So let's see if we can do a better job today. Well, we ought to get through it a lot quicker since I don't have to ask a lot of questions you don't know the answers to, right? <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, so today is December 13th, and it's uh, the situation with Jersey Joe, news and perspective you won't hear on TV. So our quote of the week is by Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, about the power of customers. We'll tell you about an incredible coincidence, coincidence that occurred during the Mega Millions lottery drawing last week. We'll tell you about the most expensive private wedding in history that took place last month and why the groom might be spending the rest of his life in prison. And our stupidest thing all week, uh, we once again have the three contenders. The first is about a woman, a gun, and an MRI machine. The second is about an, a, another person who can't define what a woman is. And the third is about idiot students repeating a pro-Palestinian chant that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. In a related story, we'll play a clip from congressional hearing last week where three university presidents were asked about hate speech on their campuses and how the answers they gave have already cost one of them their job. And in another related story, we'll tell you which ethnic group in this country has suddenly decided that maybe owning a gun and learning how to use it might not be a bad thing after all. Um, we'll tell you how the National NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has been fabricating temperature data in order to convert uh, measured cooling trends into reported warming trends. They're literally taking actual readings that says the Earth is cooling. They're manipulating data to come up with reports that say the Earth is warming. It's very interesting. We'll play a clip of how they're doing that. Uh, time permitting, we'll tell you about a squatter who moved into a vacant home that he didn't own, fixed it up, and sold it for a huge profit that the courts allowed him to keep after the owner of the property challenged his right to sell the home. And our taxpayer relief shot uh, comes to us from Granada Hills, California, where three thugs invade a house, but only two leave alive. So, sound familiar? Sounds familiar. Sound familiar, all right. <laughs> so I quote of the week by Walmart founder, Sam Walton. And he said, there is only one boss, and that boss is the customer. He can fire everyone in the company from the president to the janitor, simply by taking their money to spend elsewhere. If you wanna be successful, have better customer service than anyone else. He also talks about the customer that you only comes once. He talks about customers that come in and if they don't have a good experience, they're likely to never come back. So that's why he said making, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. And that's why he says, you always need to make a great first impression. Uh, how many times have you been to a business, uh, you weren't treated well, uh, and then you left because uh, you weren't treated well and you never decided to never go back there. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely, all the time. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, so that's our quote of the week from Sam Sam Walton. Anyway, uh, Mega Millions. Now, we talked about this last night. So Mega Millions, like Powerball, is drawn twice a week. And it's not unusual to go months and months and months without getting a single winner. Uh, what's even more unusual is for two winners to hit on the same same day. That's only With Mega Millions, that's only happened once in the last five years. So what happened in California last week, not only did two winners hit the same jackpot on the same day, 
they both bought their ticket at the same convenience store in California. Now, how bizarre is that to have two winners bought their same ticket at the same store in the same state? Yeah, that that is crazy. That is, what are the odds? I, I mean, I can't even begin to count. First of all, the odds of winning are like 600 million to one. Mm -hmm. The odds of two people winning it on the same day are seven or several billion to one. And the odds of two people uh, buying their ticket, winning it on the same day, buying their ticket in the same store has got to be, you know, a trillion to one. It was just an incredible coincidence. Anyway. Yeah, California does ha seem to have the most winners. Well, they got the most people. They got 40 million. They are the, the, have the lowest population of any state in the union with 40 million people. But still, to have two winners buy the same ticket in the same convenience store, uh, that was on December 8th. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. All right. So we talked about this yesterday and you hadn't heard of this, but um, the most expensive, I asked you to guess what the most expensive private wedding, uh, again, this is excluding like royal weddings, but what was your guess is what you did you think the most expensive private wedding I, I was? I said a million dollars. Yeah, well, I said a million. This, um, the, the father of the bride spent $59 million for a wedding for his daughter, which took place in Paris. They, he flew all of the guests to Paris, first class round trip, put them up in the five-star hotel for a week. They rented out the uh, uh, the Palace of Versailles for the actual ceremony. They had the rehearsal dinner at the Paris Opera House and they and they uh, hired Maroon 5, the group, to perform as at the wedding reception. That was the music. No, but now here's the best part. So $59 million for your for your daughter's wedding by the way, her name was Madeline Brockway. The groom um, is a guy named of, uh, Jacob Legrand. Well, it turns out in March, he got into a police recall to his house. He wound up firing his gun at the two police officers. So he was charged with attempted murder, aggravated assault against public, uh, public servants, which carries a potential maximum life sentence. Um, he had been offered a 25-year plea deal, which he turned down. So, you know, if your daddy and your and your uh, daughter's fiance is under indictment for attempted murder of two police officers, do you think you might have cut back on the wedding, considering that he might be yeah. spending uh, the rest I mean, of his that's life? That's an absolutely ridiculous amount of money to spend on a wedding, period. Period. But to know that that wedding is potentially going to be in question, yeah. Well, I don't know if the wedding, I guess the wedding will or, still be you know, legal. But the, the marriage, I guess the marriage will the be. The marriage, yeah. I mean, you think she's going to stay uh, celibate and married to this guy? Yeah, if he, if not, he sends not, 25, if he, not if he's in jail. Not if he's in jail for 25 years to life. So mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so that's Jacob Legrand, 29, is facing life in prison for shooting at two North Texas police officers in March of this year, which was eight months before the wedding. So dad had eight months to cancel mm -hmm. plans, make, you know, change things and, and whatnot. If it was that, I would have said, okay, we'll schedule the wedding for the day after your trial's over. Yeah. Uh, but no, they're going, they're going ahead with that. All right. So uh, as we talked about last night, we have three contenders for the stupidest thing I've heard all week. So the, the first one, which you gave a very high score to was in Wisconsin, a woman who maybe she's a rocket scientist. I'm not sure. But she was scheduled for an MRI, and so she put the gown on, but under her gown, she brought her loaded handgun into the MRI machine with her. And when they turned on the magnets, the gun flew out, hit the wall, discharged, and shot her in the ass. Yeah. And, you know, I asked you to, shot to the score that, and I think you gave that one a 10 in terms of how stupid can you be.
Yeah. Right? I, the reason why I don't understand is that when you go in for an MRI, they are, they ask you a million questions and they ask them to you over and over again. And they're so particular. I mean, everything from your earrings to even some tattoos that have like metal ink in them, like they are so thorough in, yeah. in making sure that you have no metal in, in or on your body. So yeah. how did that get missed? Well, obviously she, she, you know, I don't think she was deaf, so she heard all that, but she decided, no, um, I'm just going to take my gun with me because I feel better. Now, that was contender number one, which you gave a 10. The second yeah. is a congressional hearing and the woman being questioned, and I want to stress her title and the organization. She is president of the National Woman's Law Center. Now, remember, not the National Law Center, not the National Latino, but the National Woman's Law Center. So the uh, the congressman asks her to define what a woman is because you're representing the Women's Law Center. So listen to how she answers the question or doesn't answer the question when she's asked what the definition of a woman is. Woman the same? No. Well, not a scientist. But well, okay, we're talking about science here. So you know, I'm going back, to back this up. They're not genetic composition of a transgender versus a woman the same? No. Well, I'm not a scientist. But well, we're talking about science here. So, I mean, I hope you agree. I, They're not the same. So that's why you see all these physiological differences. If I can answer, though, I I mean, if your question is, um, how do you define woman? A woman is an adult female. But there's a lot of variation that goes beyond my level of hypothesis. Well, I biology, I'll tell you, you so. can't. I, I'm not looking at a definition. I'm talking about the science. The science genetically is a man is a man. It's a different genetics than women. Plain and simple. That's just so what it is. I, I guess what it, I would say is that it is, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but it's my understanding that it is more complex than what you are saying, in that there is variation among men and among women, and sometimes more variation um, among than there is between. Again, I'm not a scientist. And again, I'm not a scientist. I, you know, to me, it's not complicated. You can either define it genetically in terms of XX and XY chromosomes. And I always get those mixed up. Which one I has think, the XX? I, XX is female and XY is male. No. And I think any person who has graduated from high school can answer that question on a scientific level from like DNA chromosomes. Right. But I think the real problem is nowadays is that they need to better define the question. So the question is, what gender were you assigned at birth? And then what gender do you identify right later so i think that it's in the question needs to be better yeah, and you could and you could be right but of course you know the 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 accepted you know the accepted answer would be you know a, a, a woman has a uterus and a male has you know penis and testicles you know that would be the well the, now then see that's where it gets complicated because surgical you know barring surgical aside well, from from a a biological standpoint of of dna chromosomes that can never be changed right you are always, you always have those XX chromosomes or those XY chromosomes and right. that will never change regardless of what surgical procedures you have done and what, regardless of what hormones you take. Well, you know, I, I should have said born with a uterus. I mean, a woman is somebody who's been born with a uterus. Now what she, what that person chooses to do later doesn't change the fact that she was born with a, yeah. with a uterus. So that was our candidate number two. Yeah. And last but not least is the biggest one, which made the, um, uh, the national news this was Congressman Lee Stefanik interviewing the presidents of uh, MIT, University of Pennsylvania, which is different than Penn State, yep. and Harvard over the uh, 
the anti-Jewish, uh, uh, anti-Israeli uh, protests that were going on on their campuses to the point where some of the Jewish students had to lock themselves in certain buildings because there were people outside, uh, you know, chanting for infidata, death to Jews and whatnot. And uh, so the congresswoman is saying, does all of this, you know, uh, chanting of, uh, uh, you know, death to Jews, genocide, does this constitute harassment and bullying? Pretty simple question. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna start with the end of the uh, president of MIT, and then we're gonna write to uh, you, the UPenn president. Here we go. Mm -hmm. um, let me find her. Dr. Kornbluth. Oh, hang on. Conduct or rules. That would be um, investigated as, as harassment. All right, so this is MIT. And severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I'm asking. By the way, and she's smiling. As you, I'm going to back this up. Yes. Uh, the, this woman, by the way, she's got this smirk on her face when she answers this question. Uh, she's not taking this seriously at all. Uh, she's got this this big grin on her, and she's smiling like this is a big joke. So here we go. Speech turns into conduct; it can be harassment. Yes, I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. So if they go beyond just calling for death to Jews to actually killing Jews, then it's harassment and bullying. I want to know. I would like to know under what context you think this is contextual. What context is this okay? I have the same question. Under what context wouldn't it be considered bullying or harassment? Hate speech, speech, speech in itself. Hate speech is not covered under the free speech amendment. Right. Hate speech is if, as I believe, it's a felony. I don't even think it's a misdemeanor. And do you think for one second, if the group that was doing the chanting and the protesting were white supremacists were wearing KKK hoods, calling for death to, to African-American students? That's you don't... clearly defined as hate speech. Right. So you, you don't. And how do you think she would have answered if this was a hearing absolutely. about? Yeah, she would have said, absolutely. It's bullying and harassment and goes against our policy. But no, it's OK if if you're calling for genocide and death to Jews. And it depends on the context and only if it turns into actions. So I don't know, that's got to be up there pretty close to the stupidest thing I've heard all week, but the woman and the gun and the MRI. If you had to pick one of those two, which would you pick? I, I just cannot for the life of me figure out how the gun got by the MRI because knowing how people in the medical profession are supposed to be so thorough at clearing that. Yeah, but they don't, you know, they don't do a body search. They don't frisk you. I've had MRIs. But asking. Yeah, but they ask, but, you know, obviously the, the yeah. woman lied. And so anyway. All right. But moving on in a related story. Now, in the past, we've talked about, um, I mean, last year we had, excuse me, got a cold here. 
Last year, we had African-Americans and women, and uh, African-American women in particular became the largest uh, group of uh, first-time gun buyers. And then when we had the two prison breaks in Pennsylvania where people were, where there were a manhunt going on for a week, the people near those cities where those inmates escaped, they were buying guns. Yep. And two months ago in Maine, when the guy shot, who shot up the bowling alley, there was a four-day manhunt for him. Yep. The main gun stores were uh, flooded with first-time gun buyers, you know, wanting to buy guns and saying, what's the best gun do I should I have for home defense? Because they realized that uh, the police can't protect you. Um, you know, that if this guy breaks into your house, uh, it's seconds, not minutes. You know, so yep. this, if this guy who's a murderer, who's armed, he's just killed 14 people. If he breaks into your house, um, it'll be over in seconds. So there's, a, there's a line in, I think, from Top Gun where they're where they're in the dog fight and they and the and the crew chief asked the guy in the control room how long you know and he's well you know 20 minutes and the guy said this thing will be over in in, in minutes well same thing if, if a guy breaks in if a murderer breaks in your house it's going to be over in seconds not minutes so what's the latest group to come to the realization that the police can't protect you and that you're the only person responsible primarily responsible for your safety guess what jews in, jews in america yeah. so if you if you google the words just google the phrase Jews buying guns and mm -hmm. set your time filter for the past 60 days, you will find literally dozens of stories from different outlets, some local, some national, uh, reporting th that Jews are flooding into gun stores. Mm -hmm. And here's a quote from just one. I This is a CNN story. This is just one of dozens. And here's the quote. Gene Petrino, a retired SWAT commander in the Carl Springs, Florida, uh, told CNN he's gotten roughly to 15 to 20 Jewish people per week seeking training since the war broke out, since the war in Israel broke out. The desire for gun training and ownership differs from the usual views on firearms in the Jewish community, according to Mark, a Jewish photographer in Houston, who owns two guns and requested that CNN not reveal his full last name for safety. He said, I'm actually surprised to hear that other Jewish people also have guns. In terms of the Jewish community overall, I know most people do not own guns just because most Jews are liberal and uh, advocate for gun control. And here's a survey. In 2018, the American Jewish Committee poll showed that 70% of Jewish respondents thought it was more important to have more gun control ownership, than, more gun controls than ownership to protect Americans' rights. So, you know, that gets flipped on its head once again. So, and I think for the first time now, more than 50% of American homes have have a gun in them, which has never been true before. Well, not since the 1900s, at least. I was going to say the 1900s, they all had guns. Yeah, so 1900s, they had, had a gun. But, you know, after World War II, that kept going down and down and down and down. And now suddenly it's bouncing back to where now more than half the homes in this country have a gun in them. Yep. So anyway, um, so that's the latest trend in who's buying guns. All right. You want to talk about global warming? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So say you're the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOOAA, and you're NASA who gives you all the satellite data, and your bosses want you to publish trend data showing that the Earth is rapidly warming, but the actual temperature data you have shows just the opposite. Well, what do you do? Your boss wants you to send a report showing it's getting warmer, and all your actual temperature readings show it's getting cooler. Well, you do two things. First, you find a reason to correct, and I put the word correct in quotation marks, those actual readings to show that to show that they're higher than reported. And second, you make up data substitute for nearly 50% of the temperature reporting stations that no longer exist or have stopped functioning. This five-minute video will explain how those two government agencies are manipulating temperature data 
to get the results they want instead of the, the results that are being reported. And let me see if I can find this clip. And I won't play the whole thing, but I'll play enough so you can get the get the basis for it. Here we go. Hello, this is Tony Hiller from RealClimateScience.com. In my previous video, I discussed how NASA has turned a long-term cooling trend in the United States into a warming trend by altering the data. But most of the data tampering is actually done by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which I'll refer to as NOAA. They show a strong warming trend in average maximum U.S. temperatures since 1895. But their thermometer data shows a strong cooling trend. They changed the data from a cooling trend into a warming trend through two adjustments. The first one is the time of observation bias adjustment, and the second is the final adjustment. The actual thermometer data shows that the United States is cooling. But through the use of data tampering, NOAA produces a politically expedient warming trend. The pink lines show the measured cooling trend, and the red lines show the adjusted warming trend. A big part of this adjustment is that they're simply making up data for stations which are no longer reported. There are 1,280 thermometers in the United States Historical Climatology Network, but since 1989, NOAA has been losing data from these stations. In this year, only 819 stations have reported data. If a station... So, um, so half the reporting stations no longer report actual data. That's important. Yep. Here we go. ...doesn't report temperatures during a particular month, NOAA simply fabricates some temperatures using a computer model. So far this year, 47% of the NOAA data for the United States is fabricated. Not surprisingly, this fake data is producing a warming trend, which is what NOAA wants people to see. Current adjusted temperatures are about one degree warmer than the actual measured data. But the adjusted temperatures from 100 years ago are about 1.5 degrees cooler than the actual thermometer data. So NOAA is producing about 2.5 degrees of warming via the process of data tampering. And let me let me explain for in case you missed it. So not only are they adjusting the current data upwards, making it warmer, they're going back 100 years and they're finding an excuse to restate that 100-year-old data Yep. to be cooler than it actually reported so that they can show a larger increase. So they're not only tampering with current data, they're tampering with historical data. You say, well, it was, it was a lot cooler back then than the temperature than, re, than we actually have data for. And they're finding excuses to, to make it the Earth seem cooler 100 years ago than it actually was. So they're tampering on both ends to make the delta look even bigger. How dishonest is that? Yeah. Here we go. The best way to understand how this fake warming trend is being generated is by looking at some of the stations which NOAA is making up data for. So far this year, NOAA has made up data for 777 out of 1,280 stations in the network. One of these stations is at Lake Itasca, Minnesota. The measured thermometer data shows cooling, but NOAA alters the data to create a strong warming trend. There's no scientific basis for what they're doing. This is just what they want people to see. All right, and I won't play the whole thing, but if you go to Real Climate Science and Producer Susan, I hope you can put this yep. link up on the I'll, website. I'll add the link to the website. And so you can listen to the whole five minutes, but it's just stunning. And I don't think one person in 500 actually realizes that all these graphs they're seeing that the White House puts out 
-hmm. are based on manipulated, made up data. I, I mean, yeah. literally made up data. So it just blows my mind. How much time we got? Uh, we got about 10 minutes. All right. So we'll roll through this. Maybe we finish a little early tonight. So we talked about this last night. So you've heard of adverse possession, right? Yep. Yep. So let's say that um, your neighbor, uh, you know, puts his driveway, you know, expands his driveway and two feet of his driveway winds up over on your property line. Yep. And um, you don't ever say anything about it. Maybe you don't even know about it. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that your neighbor's driveway, the two feet of the edge of your neighbor's driveway is actually on your property. Well, if you don't say anything about it, it varies from state to state, seven years, 10 years, 15 years. But when that, when that, uh, when that statute of limitation runs out, your neighbor gets to claim that piece of property because you mm -hmm. didn't object to his use. Well, in England, a squatter moved into a vacant house. Guy, apparently his mother died. Squatter moved into the house, started fixing up. He was living there. He was mowing the lawn. Owner never said a word. And um, well, after 10 years, the squatter decided he was going to sell the house. And he did. He sold the house. And um, the owner said, wait a minute, you can't sell that house. It was my house. Well, he never even charged the guy a dollar, a dollar a year rent. And the court said, no, um, you knew he was using your house. You didn't object to it. Adverse possession. Title of that house passed to him because you didn't, you didn't object to him using it. So the squatter wound up selling a house that he didn't initially own and got to keep 100% of the proceeds. Mm -hmm. So adverse possession is, is really serious stuff. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, same thing. That's why at uh, Rockefeller Center in New York, which they allow 364 days a year, you can walk through the middle of Rockefeller Center. You know, there's one day a year where they close off where you can't cross Rockefeller Center to the other to the next street over. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Rockefeller Center, one day of the year, uh, closes off access so that you can't cut across. I forget what the two streets that that it goes across. It's one, I think, Fifth Avenue to Fourth Avenue, whatever. Rockefeller Center closes off uh, access across Rockefeller Center for one day a year to just reassert their right that it's private property oh. and you do not have un, unrestricted use to use their property. So is there yeah, a Rock particular day of the year they do that? I you know I forget what day of the year, but it's one day. Um, like maybe January 2nd or something, hmm. you know, the day after New Year's. But yeah, one day of the year, they close off Rockefeller Center to traffic and I you have to go around, that. you have to go around that through. All right. So you're ready for a taxpayer relief shot? Yeah, what is it this time? Well, first, for those who aren't aware, let's uh, tell you what a taxpayer relief shot is. We'll have the sheriff of Santa Rosa County, Florida, tell you what a taxpayer relief shot is. And here we go. Somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. And again, we've talked about the enormous cost. If you want to arrest the thug, uh, give him a trial, court appointed defender, put him in jail for 10 years at 75000 a year, it costs a million dollars to put a thug in jail. So here we go to Granada Hills, California, which is a fairly upscale neighborhood. And this is all, this is also some great reporting here on the part of the reporting. So three thugs. Now they initially the uh, the anchors say it's four people. Turned out it was only three people. So you'll hear a little confusion. But here's the report. 
Tonight in Granada Hills, that's where there's been another home invasion, but this time the victim fought back. Police say four suspects, they entered the home early this morning, but only three left after the homeowner shot and killed one of the would-be robbers. Now let's go to Chris Wolf. He's live in Northridge tonight where that investigation is underway. Chris? Yeah, Rick, Kareen, the LAPD's Devonshire station is handling this case. One thing is very clear. People are fed up. Many believe the criminal justice system in Southern California is failing them. They are defending themselves and turning the tables on criminals. With a seemingly endless violent crime wave plaguing Southern California, homeowners, would-be victims, are increasingly fighting back. Investigators say around 5 a.m. Saturday morning, three men wearing dark clothing, hoodies, and masks broke into a home on Swinton Avenue in Granada Hills with the intention of committing a robbery. The homeowner, a grandmother, and toddler were inside. Fearing for his life, the victim grabbed a handgun and fired multiple times on the intruders, fatally striking one of them. The two others scattered, and police believe at least one of them was injured because authorities discovered a trail of blood in the neighborhood. The getaway car, a black BMW sedan, was left at the scene. Video from the scene shows at least two men being handcuffed, but details are unclear. Police say they detained the resident involved in the shooting for questioning before paramedics examined him. Our investigation will continue at this point, but anyone that's inside of their residence that is faced with a deadly threat and is perceived as a deadly threat has the right to protect themselves. Some neighbors who spoke to us do not want to be identified. Well, the suspects mess with the wrong homeowner, you know? So hopefully this uh, will stop them or something. It makes me feel good that people actually protect their home and you know they're able to protect their home and stop these guys. We've been having burglaries every day in this neighborhood. Uh, so I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised at all this has happened. Uh, it's been a real problem here. And the, the residents here are fed up. Just days earlier, a young husband and father in Granada Hills returned home from Christmas shopping to find several gunmen leaving his house with stolen items. He tried to chase them down. You try to ram that vehicle? Yes, I did, like two, three times. And about two weeks before that, also in Granada Hills, George Lozano Jr. grabbed his gun and chased off several hooded figures who were closing in on his property, all captured on security footage. It's unclear if all of these crimes were committed by the same people. Anyone with information should contact the LAPD. Reporting live in Northridge, I'm Chris Wolf, KTLA 5. So what do you think? Was that a classic taxpayer relief shot? Producer Susan, you still there? Producer Susan, are you still there? I guess we lost you.